Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Today's sermon is over Malachi chapter 2, entitled Marriage Mess. We're in the book of Malachi, working our way through the Old Testament, the highlight reel, and we're almost um, going to exit that, that uh, portion of the scriptures. Like I said, 73% of your Bible is, is uh, concerned with the Old Testament. You think the Old Testament isn't important? Well, God says 73% of it is. Uh, you say the New Testament outweighs the Old. I would say, from where did you get that information? Not from God, maybe from some Bible teacher, and I would say he or she is inaccurate. Uh, the Bible has a lot to say to you. 73% of that is Old Testament. You need to hear it. You need to know it. You need to study it. You need to apply it. God is saying tons there that he doesn't repeat in the New Testament, per se, and he has it for you. So we're going to be in the book of Malachi. We got introduced to it last time, and and like I said, the difference between Malachi and Zechariah, even though they were uh, more or less, not quite contemporaries, but more or less contemporaries as far as the ages of prophets go, uh, they were around the same time. Uh, Malachi and Zechariah could not be more different from each other. Zechariah speaking more of a future events, more of um, prophecy, whereas Malachi is in your face. He is in your business. He's talking about the stuff you're doing today and thinking about doing tomorrow and should have done yesterday, and so uh, it's, it's tough, and he deals with, with down-to-earth, common issues, uh, modern issues, as we're going to see today, in this case, referencing marriage. So chapter 2 of Malachi, we're going to be in verses uh, 11 through 16. It says, Judah has dealt treacherously, in particular with God, an abomination has been committed in Israel, so some kind of heinous sin, right? Well, yeah, but maybe it doesn't make our list, and it should. It is in the eyes of God. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves. He has married the daughter of a foreign god. So he's gone out and done something he shouldn't do. Uh, they were required to, to marry within their faith, uh, with, within the same belief system. And they were going out and marrying these people who were uh, committed to other gods. And that's a problem, let me just say to you, Christian. Uh, as you marry someone, as God leads you, let me just say to you very clearly, biblically, he's not leading you to a person that's not a Christian. He's just not. Well, I think he is. Well... No. Stop taking whatever you're taking because it's leading you down a bad path. Uh, biblically, listen, spiritually, God is leading you to other believers. If you yoke yourself with an unbeliever, you're going to have problems. Because you married yourself a daughter or, or a, a son of a foreign god. You're either a child of God or a child of Satan. There's no in-between, right? So you're going to have a problem with your father-in-law, if you will, if you marry a lost person, okay? You're just going to do it. Don't do that. Stop it. And anyway, keep going. And this is, another, this is another thing you do. You cover the altar with tears. So not only are you disobeying me, you're coming crying and saying, God, why don't you help us? And God's saying, I don't understand why you're doing this. With weeping and groaning, because he has no longer regard for your offering, except, your favor, except with favor from your hand. Why? Because you're not doing what he told you to do. Yet you say, for what reason? I don't understand. I can go out and live disobediently, and I expect you to bless me. And God's just shaking his head. Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, against whom you have dealt treacherously. So that's where the treachery really started. So first of all, they, they've divorced their first wife, and they moved on to the wife of a foreign God. So they've done two things that God is against, uh, and both completely wrong in the eyes of God here. It says, take heed. Uh, he says, in, uh, where, I've lost myself there. Because the Lord has been a witness between you, back in verse 14, 
between you and the wife of youth against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But no one has done so who has the remnant of the Spirit. And who did that one, who, and what did that one do while he was seeking a godly offspring? Take heed then to your spirit, and let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. And he makes this huge statement, For I hate divorce. Anybody that's been through divorce or been the recipient of divorce as a child, you understand at least in part why he hates it. It's never good. It's never good. So it says the Lord God of Israel, and with him who covers his garment with wrong or with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously, it says here. And so they're, they're coming up with divorce for the wrong reasons, and they're seeking out a marriage for the uh, wrong causes in the wrong direction. And so, again, a very 2,400-year-old uh, topic is a very pertinent topic today. Why? Because times have changed, people have not changed. And our circumstances have not changed, our relationships haven't changed, and we're still getting married. Two sinners are getting married, and, and in, unless we do it correctly in the, in the way God intended it for it, we're headed to a breakup. And so th thus the circumstances here. And so marriage, is, again, is just, has always been a, a hot topic. Uh, Abraham Lincoln was quoted as saying this, uh, marriage is neither heaven nor hell, he says, it's only purgatory, he says. Uh, <laughs> Very famously married to Mary Todd Lincoln, who was very no, well known to be jealous. And of course, he's the President of the United States. He's doted on by you know, all kinds of people. And so, yeah, there was a problem there. Uh, maybe the best quotes you get about marriage are, are from kids. Kirsten, who is 10 years old, she says this about marriage. No person really decides before you grow up who you're going to marry, she says. She says, God decides it way beforehand, and you get to find out later who you're stuck with, uh, she says. <laughs> Alan, 10 years old, says this. He says, you got to, you got to find somebody who likes the stuff you like. And uh, he says, for instance, like for me, sports. And then when she does like sports, then she's got to make sure that she keeps the chips and dip coming. And uh, apparently he heard that from somebody. Susie, who was four years old, uh, was so excited coming home from preschool because she'd for the first time heard the story of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And so she was going to relay the story to her mom. Mom, mom, guess what happened? I heard this cool story. And she goes on about the seven dwarfs and how the witch, you know, pronounced a curse and, and uh, she had slept the sleep of death and been kissed to life by Prince Charming. And then she said, and then guess what happened? The mom says, I know what happens. They lived happy ever after. And she said, no, they got married, she said. <laughs> Big frown on her face. Oh, marriage is a global topic. It's a kid topic. It's an adult topic, isn't it? It should be. Uh, but before it was ever any of these things, listen, it was a biblical topic. It was a God topic. It was an institution, the only institution, that God created in the Garden of Eden. And it has the capacity, has the capacity for a happy ever after. It really does. But it has to be done God's way. When we d divorce results, when we divorce ourselves from the creator of this institution, and we stop following his rules, we stop listening to him, and then we bring into this, when we get it out of the context of the creator, it becomes something it was never intended to be. So let's go back to the original. Like I said, here we are in Malachi. We've been eight years in the Old Testament, highlights of the Old Testament, and we've not been really on the topic of, of marriage until we were eight years ago, way back there in the book of Genesis. So let's go back to where we were, back to the book of Genesis. If you would turn there with me. Genesis chapter 2, 
And we're going to consider the, the building blocks, the foundation of, um, of marriage and what God has to say about marriage. Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to through 23. First of all, it starts off with a remarkable statement here. It says, Then God, the Lord God said, it was, It's not good for a man to be alone. I will make him a helper, it says, suitable for him. Now that's remarkable because six times prior to this, God has said it is good about the creation that he makes. He makes the animals, it's good. He makes the, the, the sea and the dry land, it's good. He makes the light and the dark, it is good. He makes the fish, he makes all these things, it's all good, good, good. Six different times, he makes the same pronouncement. It's all good, it's all good. And then, then one thing isn't good. Not Adam, but the fact that Adam is alone. And so, again, like I said, it's, it's remarkable in that way. Verse 19, out of the ground... The Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky. Notice from what? From the dirt, just like he did Adam. But he's about to make something that's very unique, not from dirt, the woman. Every bird of the sky and, and, and brought them to the man and to see how he would call them and whatever the man called them, the living creatures, that was his name. And the man named them. So God gives him power. He says, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky. That's exactly what he did. God doesn't name these things. You're responsible for this. Guys, we're responsible for the earth. It's not the environmentalists who decide this. No, we are responsible. By the way, the environmentalists are saying we should leave it alone. God says, don't leave it alone. You're to manage this stuff. You're to watch over it. You're responsible. You're going to answer for this. Care for it. Manage it. See to it. That's the way he set it up. So the man names everything, it says. Gave them names of the cattle and the birds of the sky and every beast of the field. But Adam, for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. By the way, ladies, it doesn't ever say he woke up, so that's what's wrong with your man there. I mean, we assume that he woke up, but it never actually says it, so if we're going to be literalist here. And he took one of the ribs and closed the flesh at that place, and the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he'd taken from the man. She's unique. She's not from dirt. She's from living flesh. She's the pinnacle of God's creation. Taken from the man and, and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And for this cause, the cause of marriage, a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Uh, end of service. God was not a Baptist preacher. He knew how to conclude a service. And so a very short marriage ceremony there. And uh, he got it done. And then they were married. So God's creation of Eve is this huge statement about uh, the way God created us. And here's the first part, part of that. He created us for companionship. That's who we are. We live in a world that we are becoming separated from each other. We're, we're becoming... Um, uh, uh, isolated from each other, and God did not create it that way. Again, we, it seems like we find every way to mess things up. That's one of the ways things are getting messed up. We're isolating ourselves. We don't know each other. We don't want to know each other. That's a problem. God did not create us that way. God created us. We were created, listen, in the image of God, right? What does that mean? It has nothing to do with your flesh. God's not physical, is he? So how can be anything be created in his image? How could that have any reference to our physicality? Doesn't. Has, has a reference to something different. In our physicality, I'm not much different than my cat. 
or than your dog, physically. I mean, you put us in a kennel and burn us down to nothing, and we're basically the same pile of ashes, right? I mean, it's made out of the same stuff. Physically, we're the same. It's our natures that are different. It's our spirits that are different. And God created us in our nature, in our spirit, to be like Him. God has always existed, listen, in His nature, in a triune state. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? You've heard of that. We call it the Trinity or triune, if you will. The triune nature of God. He has always eternally existed in fellowship, in community. And so when He creates something in His image... Initially, he creates this singular. That's why he says, the Adam being alone, this isn't right. It's not like me, God says effectively. It's not the way I am, and so I'm not going to leave Adam in a way that's not like me. We were created in his image, in his nature, you see. And so he moves from phase one, singularity, to phase two, which, of course, is creating what is called here this, this helper, it says. God creates a helper for man. The reason why the woman is called the helper, because if, I don't know, Ladies that are married here, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But the Westy ladies may not know this. But the reason why he calls her a helper is because men need a lot of help. That's why. A lot. A lot. I'm humbled in the 30 years I've been married to this woman up here about how much she has helped me. I had it all going on before I married her. And then when I married her, God used the light shine through her life to show me how much I needed help. How much, how, how kind God was being to me because I needed so much help that God brought to her through my life. It's like a little Anita, nine-year-old, uh, said one time. She said, it's better for girls to stay single, but boys, they have to marry because they always need someone to clean up after them, she said. <laughs> That's true on every level. So many levels. It's like our preschool director, Patty, Patty Daigle, here at our church said to me years ago, we had a, a storm, a, a hurricane, barreling down here on the coast of uh, South Padre Island, and, and uh, she with her family were living in an RV, living in, an RV in, in, in the county park, and next to her was a guy living in an RV uh, who was single. He's not married. And, uh, of course, everybody's scurrying around and getting stuff together and cleaning up, and the last place you want to be when a hurricane hits the shore, you don't want to be anywhere here, first of all. You sure don't want to be in an RV. Well, this guy apparently was just doing nothing. I mean, he was just sitting under the shade, sipping tea, watching the storm come, come in. And so she was up here, and we were talking, and she was on staff, and she was asking us to pray. And I, she said, please pray for this man. I said, well, what's really going on? She says, I don't know how to put this any more gently other than to simply say this, Pastor. He doesn't have a wife. <laughs> I said, say no more. I know exactly, because I'd be that man down there underneath the shade, thinking I could ride the storm out. If it had not been for my wife, I needed so much help. Men need so much help, but so do ladies, don't they? They really do. Helper is not, listen, a statement of inferiority. It's not derogatory in any way. Uh, it is a statement of equality, at the very least, possibly superiority, for sure, because obviously if he needs help or she needs help, then the opposite person is, is superior in that area, is it not? It's, it's a statement of, of equality, it's not one over the other. It's equality. I need you. You need me. God created that for Adam and the person of Eve. And Adam became that for her. And she became that for him. And so this whole helper thing. By the way, God calls himself a helper. Notice. God is our refuge and strength. A very present 
He's a helper. He helps us. Why? Because we need help, right? I need help. You need help. God helps us. God helps us through so many avenues, and one of those avenues is in the spouse that he brings to us, and the spouse that he created for, for Adam. Was so, it's so critical that we understand this. And so he brought her, and so Adam became Eve's helper, and Eve became Adam's helper. And, um, and if we didn't know any better, we would think at this point where God says, well, it isn't good that Adam be alone. We would think that just, boom, he would just out of the air create Eve. He can do that, right? What does he do? Takes him through his first, first marriage counseling here, which is otherwise known as Zoology 101. Takes him through all the animals. And so he names all these animals, and there's a couple of lessons to learn here. First of all, he's learned the first lesson in the whole thing was that you need to obey God. Second lesson, you need to learn that even when you have everything, and guys, listen, he had everything. He had it all. He lived in an eternal, eternally blessed state in a beautiful garden, Right? A sinless condition. He had an un, un, uh, altered, unneed for altering relationship with God, did he not? He had it all, and yet he still lacked. He still needed Eve. Listen to me. You can get the whole world and still not have it without companionship. Still not have it. God created us for that need. We were created that way. You can, have, you can still, you, even though you have everything, you can still need something without a companion, without that. And so he needed companionship, number one. He needed completion, number two. And so that's exactly what God does. God creates Eve from living flesh. It's the only thing in all creation not created from dirt. The woman. We could argue, and I would win. <laughs> we could argue, I could argue with you, that it, it would be easy to point out that women are the pinnacle of God's physical creation. So he creates animals from dirt, right? He creates men from dirt. Men are the, if you will, we're the, we're the best evolved. We, I hate to use that word because we're not evolved. We're, we're, we're the highest order of, of uh, animals as far as animals are concerned. But out of, not out of dust, out of living flesh, he creates the woman. She is unique. Man is made from dust, but woman is made from a unique substance. Woman, I would, I would suggest to you, I would submit to you, is the superior human, biblically speaking. She just is. <laughs> Amen. Right? Ladies, you deserve that place, and men, you need to know that place. She just is. I mean, you can't argue with the facts. I mean, I was made from dirt, and she was made from flesh. I mean, that's superior. It's like the little girl in the Sunday school who raised her hand because the teacher said, uh, uh, I want somebody to tell me the story of Adam and Eve. And so she says, oh, I can tell you the story. I can tell you the story. She says, okay, sweetie, tell us the story. She says, well, see, God created, God created the animals, and then he, 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 he created all this stuff, and he made everything right. And then he created Adam, and he says, wait a minute, I can do better than that. And then he created Eve, she says. So Adam effectively takes a power nap, and shazam, there's the lady. And that's exactly what it says. I want to notice a couple of things here, and this is very important, and especially make a point to our younger people here, and older for that matter. We need, all need to hear this. He doesn't, Adam does not submit a work order. He doesn't give God a list. God doesn't ask for it. Adam doesn't offer it. Adam just simply goes to sleep. 
and he wakes up with what God made, what God intended. Adam offered no input. He not only did not offer any input, God was not accepting any input. It is completely absent from the scriptures. It speaks a very volume of information about our current dating culture. It's easy for me to say, Pastor Bill, you've been married for 30 years. You don't know what it's like. Yeah, I know. I dated whatever I could date. (laughs) I'm not saying it's right, though. In fact, I am saying biblically, you ready for this? It's not. Because here's what it says. It says that God is incapable of doing what he did for Adam. God's incapable of finding the right person for me and, and two things, by the way, finding the right person, creating the right person, and bringing that person to me. There's no search involved. That's what dating is. I have to, here's, what I, here's the statement I make when I date. Again, I know I've been married for 30 years. Pastorville doesn't know, and you can do all that you want to. Argue, don't argue with me. Argue with the Bible. Bible says Adam had no input. Bible says Adam had no search. God did all of it. So could it be, could it be that you're searching is the problem, and that God is withholding the right person from you because of the search? Just a suggestion. Just a suggestion. Notice, he doesn't submit a work order. He leaves it all up to God, and when God brings it to him, is he ever pleased? Notice what he says there in the first part of verse 23. And the man said, this is now. That's, that's, so, that's a, such an incredible statement in the Hebrew. Literally is, he literally, is, it's an exclamation. This is it, he says. So he's been through all the animals, zoology 101, all these stinky things, and all of a sudden, this is it. This is what I've been looking for. How do you know it? Because she was in God's arm, you see. God's the father here, giving away the, the bride. This is the one for me. He never dreamed of it, never seen it, never written a list, none of those things. He just simply knew that because God had brought her to him, that she was the one. And so he brings it there. And notice again, God doesn't send him on a scavenger hunt. God just simply brings Eve to him. He fashions her. He brings her to him. That, guys, is the biblical, and gals, is the biblical pattern. So so why do we have problems in relationships and marriage? Because a lot of times we start off wrong. We start off unbiblically. And again, you say, well, I didn't know it. Well, now you do. So you need to do it right. You need to seek Him in all things. And for crying out loud, the most important relationship that we could possibly have, which is the spouse that we choose in this life, you need to be hearing from God on it. And so how is it possible that you're going to be hearing from God if you're not doing it His way? Again, all we have is this to go on in the Scriptures, and it doesn't add anything or subtract anything from it all the way through. So, so at, God brings, brings um, Eve to Adam. He doesn't send Adam out to find Eve, which is, by the way, an aside, but it does, at least it says a lot to me, at least as a a man, uh, because I think it's instructive and it's very biblical, ladies, and you're going to find a lot of comfort in this gentleman. He doesn't bring, he doesn't send Adam on a search because men can't find anything. (laughs) You're not married women, you don't know that, but let me tell you something, the wives know know it. I mean, she can send me in there, it's in it's, it's, like, a, it's like, a, 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 like a fear washes over me when she's in another room and she says, I need you to look in so-and-so to find so-and-so that's colored like so-and-so. Well, here's what I know. It won't be like that. <laughs> Even if it is, I can't find it. I cannot. I don't know what it is about men. We cannot seem to find anything. And it almost seems like here, it, we all have from the very beginning, this man 
simply can't find anything. But what, what he does know, he does know that when God does something, he does it right. And so he breaks out into this poetry here, literally a song. This is now, bottom up, it doesn't rhyme in our ears, in our English-speaking ears, but it rhymes in the Hebrew. This is now the bone of my bone and the flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. It's just an exclamation of, of total joy because God has provided for him the things that he needs. And it really was an ideal marriage if you think about it. So she doesn't have to hear, or he doesn't have to hear about all the guys he, she could have married, right? Because that wasn't happening. And he doesn't have to hear about how great, or she doesn't have to hear about how great her, his mama's cooking was uh, either. So it was, I think, in many ways, the ideal marriage. Two major overarching statements are made here by, by what God does. Number one, God planned the human heart for love and companionship. That's the way we're built. Number two, number two, and hear me careful on this, the primary means of that originally was to be found ultimately in marriage. Number one, God planned the human heart for love and companionship. Number two, the primary means of that originally was to be found in the institution of marriage. Anymore, I would say this. That's the way it originally was. I, the way I read it is everyone was planned for marriage. Anymore, I would say not anymore. Because we're fallen. We live in a world, we have a New Testament in which you have Paul, for instance, who says some people are called to marriage and some people aren't, and that needs to be okay. Uh, I grew up in a culture in East Texas where, I mean, once you got past a certain age, well, you're supposed to get married. Everybody gets married, right? Listen, scripturally, biblically, I would say no. You need to be praying hard about that. Not everybody is intended for marriage because we live in a fallen world. We live in a messed up world. We live in a world in which some people are being called to serve God complete with their lives and not concern themselves with a spouse, husband or, husband or wife. Other people like myself are called, they can't be any better than they are unless they're married. And, and it's not for any of us to decide in some kind of cultural bias that says no one should get married or everyone should get married. No, they need to decide as they follow God in their own personal life. But again, the original intent, yes, it was marriage. Yes. Marriage is accomplished by doing four things, and we're going to get to one of those today because, hey, it's time, not almost time for us to go. Marriage is accomplished by, number one, leaving. Number two, receiving. Number three, cleaving. And number four, weaving. Doesn't that sound good? I didn't, I didn't make those up. Somebody gave them to me, but they're, they're, they have a good sound, and they go right with the scriptures. First of all, leaving, and we're going to get to that one today. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother. That's a very strong statement. We hear leave, it's like, well, of course, I'm going to move out of my house and move in with my wife, right? Uh, it's saying a lot more than that. It, it literally means, the word in Hebrew literally means to cut off. Let's read it that way. For this cause, a man shall cut off his father or abandon, it's another way to read it, abandon his father and mother. That's a very strong statement, isn't it? Especially since they're probably footing the bill for the whole wedding and all that kind of stuff. It's like, wow, why pick on mom and dad? Because it's making a statement about, and by the way, again, these are rules. God has rules. God created the institution of marriage. And you can come up and do marriage any way you want to, but let me just say, tell you this. If you don't go according to the rules, it ain't going to work. The reason why marriage isn't working in our culture today is because we're not following the rules. Number one rule, leave, in particular, who? Father and mother. 
You have to cleave, literally, you have to break from them. And what does that mean? That doesn't mean I, I disown my parents. That doesn't mean, okay, I'll never go home for Christmas anymore. We'll never see Thanksgiving. That's not what it's saying. It just simply means your allegiance shift. As a child, as a young person, the closest relationship I'm supposed to have is a relationship between a child and his or her parents. Now that I'm married, that stops being my closest relationship. Now my relationship comes with my wife. I choose her biblically over them. My allegiance, my priority is to her over them. Hear me carefully. You break this rule, you will break marriage. Happens all the time. <coughs> Happens all the time. Adults with kids who are getting married, you break this rule with your kids, you expect them to choose you over them. Listen, you're breaking their marriage. You're breaking the rules. Not a rule, it's not Pastor Bill's rule, it is God's rule. Don't break the rules. You break the rules, you have all this mess that we find ourselves in in our culture today. Literally, the leaving means to cut off. Your spouse becomes your priority over your parents, and by the way, all of the relationships. So if my, my relationship with my parents is the most important relationship I have, what does it say about all other relationships? So if I'm cutting off mom and dad, who else am I cutting off? Everybody else. I'm ceasing to be who I was. I was single Bill. I'm no longer single Bill. I'm now married Bill. I can no longer relate to any of you the way I did before. Don't break that rule. You break that rule, well, you're going to break a marriage. That'd be hard. It's going to be really hard. One reader wrote in Reader's Digest um, a particular instance that took place. They went over to some friends of theirs, older friends. They were older people. And their daughter had just gotten married some months before, and they were there having dinner together, and all of a sudden they get this phone call, and mom goes in the other room, and she comes back, and she's kind of visibly upset, and so she calls for dad to come into the room, and he goes and takes the phone, and she comes and sits down, and, and uh, they were talking, the lady that writes into Reader's Digest, they were talking with the mom, and she says, oh, uh, our little girl is having problems with her husband, having some kind of spat. So the husband is... The dad is in the other room talking to the daughter on the phone, and a few minutes he comes back in, he sits down, kind of this peaceful look on his face. He's, what happened? Well, I mean, they're having a fight, and she said that she wanted to come home. And so he was paused for a second. Well, what did you say? He said, I told her she already was home. Yeah. Moms and dads, listen, you got a married child. They're already home. They're not in your home anymore. A young person getting married or already married, listen to me. You are home. That's your husband. That's your wife. And I know there's lots of extenuating circumstances, and what about abuse, and what about this, and all that. And I know we're talking about large picture here. But again, we have to get the large picture, but we can ever talk about the smaller picture. Your loyalty now belongs to your spouse. Don't break the rules. Your spouse should never have to compete with your parents or with your friends or with anybody. You break the rules, you break a marriage. So first of all, leave and then receive and then cleave. And we're going to get to those things in the next couple of coming, coming weeks. But I want us to consider one more verse before we're done this morning. And this is in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? 
Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And then he adds a third here. And a cord of three strands, it says, are not quickly broken. Where's that third? So you got husband, I've got wife, and I've got, I've got God, you see. You know, you know what the, really the secret of marriage is? It's God. I give you all the marriage advice I really know, and that is God needs to be the center of both of your lives, or it's going to be really, it's going to be really tough anyway. But if God's not the center, I, I, I bet I can bet against that marriage. I can bet against it, and it'd probably be a pretty safe bet. God, God has created us. He's, he's built into society, into humanity, the ability to be very strong. But we have to do it His way. Now, it says there are three strands. I couldn't find anything about a rope, about how it increases with strength, but I did find some statistics on, on metal. Here, here's an interesting statistic. Listen to this. When, when you double a 4x4 four four piece of angle iron, it doesn't double in strength. It increases in strength 43 times. 43. Here's, here's, here's the tonnage or the weight for you. So one piece of angle iron gives you 2,200 pounds of, of strength. You double it, you get 96,000 pounds. 43 times greater strength. So, so when you get two, you get more than the sum of their parts. And when you get three, and the third one's God. See, God has built so much strength into us. There's so much there available to us, and we're just simply not utilizing either one, because we're not searching for it, or two, we're not following the rules. See, we're not wor- it's not working because, well, we're not working it. I want to ask you, please, to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. God's got to be the center of our lives, center of everything. How can we expect anything to work, much less marriage, as, as, as tedious and as uh, incredible as that is? How can we expect it to work unless he's the center? God, we want you to be the center of our lives. God, we so much need you to be the focus of what we do. We need you to be the one that makes the calls and calls the shots, not just bringing a spouse to us, not just telling us how to relate to that spouse on a day-to-day basis, but in every single area of our lives. God, we need you to be the center. We can't control ourselves. We're out of control, and we don't have the answers. And when we turn our back on the one who does, we're in trouble. And many of us are in trouble today. God, I pray that we would turn away from the things that have um, been leading us astray. We turn back to you today, make a fresh commitment to you in our lives, in our relationships, in our marriages. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptist.org.